Happy Bitcoin Saturday, freaks. It's your host, Odell, here for another Citadel Dispatch, the live interactive show focused on actionable Bitcoin and freedom tech discussion. We have a great group of guys here at the Bitcoin TV studios at Bitcoin Park for today's show. Um, but before we get started, I want to thank all the listeners for continuing to support the show. Dispatch is audience funded without ads or sponsors, and it's made possible thanks to the gracious donations from all of you. I really do appreciate it. Um, it means the world, and it's just pretty cool seeing all the donations come in. Um, couldn't do it without you guys. Um, the easiest way to support the show is through podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain, Breeze, Podverse.fm, and others. You simply search Citadel Dispatch. Press the subscribe button, load up your wallet with Bitcoin, and then you choose how many sats per minute uh, you think the show is worth. And those sats get streamed directly uh, to my node uh, as you listen. Um, Podcasting 2.0 also has a feature called Boostergrams, uh, where you're able to attach a message to a set amount of sats. I read the top four Boostergrams from the last show every episode. Before I do that, I also want to say you can also support the show through citadeldispatch.com slash donate through Lightning or on-chain Bitcoin. We're a Bitcoin-only show here. So the only way to support the show is through Bitcoin. I do know it's a recession. I do know it's a bear market, kind of. I think we're almost out of it. Um, so if you can't spare Bitcoin, you can also support the show by just searching for it and subscribing for the show on your favorite platform or on all the platforms, every podcast app, um, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Rumble, Bitcoin TV. Um, you just search Citadel Dispatch. All the links are at CitadelDispatch.com. And then last but not least, yeah, sharing it with friends and family. It, it really does go a long way. Um, leaving reviews helps. Um, but then also we are very unique here that we have a live interactive audience that gets piped in through YouTube, Twitch, and our Matrix chat. Our Matrix chat is 24-7, 365 chat focused on Freedom Tech. Uh, you can find that at sildispatch.com slash chat. So participating in the show is huge. Um, I consider you guys all co-hosts, so thank you for constantly coming into the live show and joining us. So with all that said, I just want to read the last top four boostergrams from last week. Uh, well, not last week. It was a little bit ago, but last episode. We have at Nakamoto 6102 with 60,000 sats saying, thanks for the discussion. As a prosecutor and regular listener to the show, I can say the culture within prosecutor offices is changing. Bitcoin and open source tools are important and used mostly by law-abiding citizens. I don't know anything about Roman's case beyond what was discussed. Even assuming the charges are true, decades in prison is more time than many murderers will serve. I hope there's justice in this case. I agree with you, Nakamoto 6102. We have at Faded Flage 
with 56,789 sat saying, don't worry about the audio quality. I found episode 100 both riveting and terrifying. Cheers to that. We have at Eric99, 50,000 sats saying, stay humble, stack sats. Really great advice, Eric99. Appreciate the support. And then we have at Stimmy with 50,000 sats saying, free Roman. Free Roman is right. Cheers to that. So with all that said, I have a highly relevant conversation lined up for us today. Um, We have the mempool.space team here in the studio um, here to talk about mempools, talk about transaction fees, and talk about their project, uh, the mempool open source project and uh, the mempool.space instance that they host. Um, As you freaks are probably aware, if you've used Bitcoin, um, at all these last two weeks, mempools have been running hot. There's been a backlog of Bitcoin transactions. Transaction fees have been high as a result. Uh, Bitcoin is working as designed. It is beautiful to watch. And I think this conversation could be very helpful to people that have just experienced that maybe for the first time if they weren't around in 2017. Um, so with all that said, I want to introduce our great guests. Um, we have Wiz here. How's it going, Wiz? Good morning, Matt. Um, I'm very happy to be here as always. Pleasure to have you as always. Uh, we have Steve here. How's it going, Steve? It's great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Cheers to that. And we have Soft Simon. How's it going, Simon? Going well. Thank you for inviting us and being in the studio this time. It's fun being in the studio, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we also have a live studio audience. He's shaking his head at me, but he has a mic here and he might speak. Um, at a random point throughout the episode. If you have any anything to say, feel free to say it at any time. He's just shaking his head at me. He's not very happy with me saying that. Um, I guess before we get started, I mean, it's a nice Saturday morning here in Nashville. Um, I know Wiz and Steve have been to the park before, but but Simon, like, what are your thoughts on, on Bitcoin Park? Um, great place. Nashville is so beautiful as an American. <laughs> city compared to like new york and miami those places i've <laughs> visited as well and just yeah co-working space for for bitcoiners it's an it's an amazing idea so Such a little, a great little bit more space. than just co-working though right yeah it's a meetup space meeting space uh, yeah. what i've seen so far and yeah it's been cool it's weird i like kind of it's like a social club mixed with co-working and then mm-hmm. we have all the events in the event space then we have this ridiculous podcast studio that's completely overkill um that hopefully we'll take more advantage of, have a better setup. Wiz, Wiz is actually, besides his love of all things mempools and running servers, he also really loves audio and video stuff. So he actually gets kind of mad at me about how my setup is here. Um, well, I'm not a professional podcaster, but there you go. Neither am I, apparently. <laughs> um, so, so boys, where should we? Um, where do you want to start here? Um, we got a very active audience. Um, uh mempools have been running hot do we do you want to mm-hmm. start should we start talking about mempools first and then we'll go to your project or what's a mempool simon yeah sure what do people want to know you think what is the what is on people's mind right now well maybe let's start with uh introducing the project for those who are not familiar like what is mempool space yeah yeah, what is Mempool Space Wiz? <laughs> All right. Um, Mempool Space is a website that Soft Simon first created in 2018. And sometime in 2019, I messaged him and said, 
let's make an open source project out of this. So in mid 2019, we co-founded the, the mempool open source project on GitHub and Twitter and, and made all the accounts and we switched the mempool.space website to our uh, servers. And that's around the time we started to work on it and build it from the original version, which was just the blocks uh, component, which you see on the mempool space website, visualizing the mempool as projected blocks, and then slowly adding more and more functionality until it was a full-blown block explorer. And then about two, two and a half years ago, we incorporated it into an actual startup. <clears throat> so now mempool space is a company funding the development of the mempool open source project. And we added a mining dashboard, we added a lightning explorer, we added all kinds of really cool functionality, which I'm sure we'll get into on the show. And the concept is to help the Bitcoin community transition into a multi-layer ecosystem and also support a very easy one-click installation on a number of Raspberry Pi de devices and, and installations like Umbrella and Raspi Blitz. So you can go to the Umbrella app store and click install and have your very own instance of the mempool space website running on your own hardware. So we very against trusted third parties and, and uh, we're very much for self-sovereignty and we're very much for the Bitcoin community and support them in this project. Awesome. I mean, anyone who's been watching Seal Dispatch should be well aware of mempool.space because it is live on your screens right now. Like that is every every dispatch has a live view of mempool.space. Um, I consider it essentially the homepage of, of of Bitcoin. It's like it's the place where you can you can see what the current status is of the Bitcoin network, your Bitcoin transactions. As you said, you've added now the lightning dashboard and the mining dashboard so you can see status updates there. But it's also incredibly cool that you can also self-host it and use it with your own Bitcoin node. Um, so we don't have to actually trust you to be giving us relevant, uh, giving us honest information, right? Yeah, you shouldn't trust us. You should run your own instance of the Mempool open source project on your own hardware. Trusted third parties are security holes. And we want to make it easy for everyone to do it. Because if, if mempool.space got attacked or censored or went down for whatever reason, you can always rely on your own locally self-hosted instance. Right. Um, so, I mean, we have some interesting questions here. So that that's the mempool.space uh, project and the mempool open source project as a just a quick overview. But uh, I think it's it's important for us to take it back a step and 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 talk about what are mempools um, and why are they important? Yeah, so it's a core feature of the Bitcoin network that there's a block every 10 minutes and there's a scarce block space before up till 2017 it was one megabyte and now it's up to four megabytes depending on what kind of data you put in but the mempool is where all transactions end up before they get confirmed on the blockchain and the mempool right now is this fee market or block space market for space in the blockchain so all transactions are competing to get uh, into the next block and the miners follow incentives economic incentives they always pick the most uh, economically <clears throat> good transactions for them like the highest fee the highest fee usually it's the highest fee but there's a lot of complexity to that because there can be a lot of relationships 
in in the transactions like if you include a low fee you can also get this high fee so there's a lot of co complexity in how they pick the transactions which is what we are working on very hard on on, on figuring out but um, yeah so the mempool is basically where your transaction end up before it's getting confirmed and when you setting out a transaction on onto the bitcoin network it's starting to spread out along the p2p network of bitcoin nodes around the world until it reaches a node that it's owned by a miner and the miner uh, grabs transaction from from their own bitcoin node right and this is also why they're not all mempools are the same because there's lag and delay in propagation and the the mempools are using completely different rules for example there's the memory size limit which is default on i think 300 megabytes but obviously we have a much higher limit so that we can show more transactions you have no limit right yeah we have a limit that we keep raising it's like raising the debt ceiling you, right? you just keep raising the debt ceiling <laughs> yeah so so w w my point is that not all the mempools are the same so you can have one transaction showing up on one mempool not the other so um i mean it gets a little bit confusing because i'm gonna nitpick here a little bit sure um it gets a, so the way I look at mempools are that it's it's essentially a a waiting list to get into into the Bitcoin blockchain. It's or like if you're international, it's a queue to get into the Bitcoin blockchain. It's like you're waiting to get into a busy restaurant, um, but instead of it being sorted by who gets there first, it's usually sorted by who's paying the the most in transaction fees. So we have this dynamic transaction fee market. Um, that is a proper free market. It's 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 people bidding to get into the scarce block space, um, and then miners are economically incentivized to essentially try and include the ones that make them the most money. Um, but it gets a little bit confusing because so many people in the space, even people that focus on mempools all the time, constantly say the mempool. Um, now there is no the mempool, right? Every node, every Bitcoin node is running their own mempool. Um, this own waiting list that they're keeping locally. Um, and and so it's important to realize, like we have a question in the chat, how many mempools are there? Um, and you can think about it that pretty much everyone that is running a node uh, has their own mempool. Now, not all of these mempools are necessarily economically relevant. Um, the most important mempools might be the miners mempools um, because they're the ones actually creating the transaction. And then obviously your guy's mempool is held in high regard because we all tend to go and check mempool.space. Um, but that's your mempool. It's not the mempool, right? Yeah, there's the mempool open source project and there's the official instance of the mempool open source project, mempool.space, which a lot of Bitcoin projects do integrate with in some way, shape or form, like wallets and exchanges and mining pools all integrate with us. But at the end of the day, if we disappeared, Bitcoin would continue operating just fine or just another mempool just another yeah. mempool but but the mempool queue you're talking about it is it's what we are trying to visualize when you go to mempool space right. what you see to the left the blocks the yellow blocks currently they're yellow because they're the colors indicating the level of the fee green is the lowest the you guys do a great job with the colors but... yeah so, so what you see to the left are the blocks that are waiting to get confirmed and yeah, we can see it on your shirt the right. you have it on your shirt too yeah that's this <laughs> that's a special green block edition yeah so the green <laughs> here is the very low fee 
Yeah, so the Mempool open source project is kind of like our passion project. Uh, I mean, Simon and I have had had many passionate arguments over the years about what features to add or what colors to use or what, you know, you know, placement of this pixel here or this thing. And um, fortunately, now that the mempool is full, you know, we're getting a lot more people using it and a lot of uh, people contributing it. It's it's really taken off. Um, yeah. I mean, when the mempool is empty, nobody really cared. When mempools are empty. Oh. I feel like it's, it's important not to keep saying the mempool because it con confuses people. Like, it sets us back... It's important to make it very clear that there's many mempools. And I have Narwhal Tacos, Ride or Die Freak, and great name in the live chat saying uh, that I should go fuck myself because I called his mempool irrelevant. I need to just be clear here. Your your mempool is not irrelevant. Uh, the most important part about your own mempool um, is being able to, on your own, make a calculation on, on what fee you should be paying. Now... Bitcoin Core doesn't have the best fee estimation strategy, and we can talk about how the Mempool Open Source Project does fee estimation and how Mempool.space does fee estimation. But if you're running your own Mempool instance um, with your own node and your own Mempool, uh, you're able to make very educated uh, decisions on what fee you should choose, right? Because that is something that people take for granted in uh, low transaction environments. But as soon as you start to see sustained high fees, it becomes very important and can be very expensive mistake to figure out what is the right fee that I want to pay for a transaction, right? Yeah, the, the term transaction fee is actually a little bit confusing, I feel. It should, it's, it's more like a bid for space in the Bitcoin blockchain. And whenever miners are considering which transactions to include in the next block, they're going to essentially look at the, the market of bids and take the highest bids, the highest bidding transactions. And nowadays you can actually increase your bid by, our, by using RBF or CPFP or other methods. And the miners are constantly looking at this. So when Matt says, if you're just a, an individual pleb at home running like your own mempool, it's irrelevant. What I think he meant was that in terms of the actual market for demand in the Bitcoin blockchain, the, the most economically relevant mempools are the ones operated by the mining pool operators or any exchanges or wallets. I mean, essentially anybody who uses the, the node makes that node uh, trusted. And so if an entire exchange is using a single node, then that node is very economically relevant. Your own mempool is relevant to you, but right. it's not necessarily. Yeah. So if, if you make I don't want node... the freaks to get stuck on that. Like you should have your own mempool. Oh, yeah. You should be using your own mempool. But your node is for you. Yeah. And if you change your mempool configuration to have a larger mempool or a smaller mempool, or if you filter out some transactions from your mempool, or if you turn off your mempool entirely only the people using that node would be affected or, or care about those changes. It's, it's kind of interesting now, like uh, recently we've seen some certain types of transactions where people are filtering them out from their mempool. Oh. And it's kind of silly because if nobody's using your node, then filtering out transactions from your mempool is not going to be noticed uh, by anyone and nobody would care, right? Oh, someone just brought that up. Like, are you talking about or disrespecter? For example, yes. I mean, you can turn off your mempool. Like, nobody's going right. to care, right? Like, you're only hurting yourself. Yeah, you're going to get inaccurate fee estimations. And 
inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah, like you want as much data as possible. Yeah. If you're if you're just ignoring transactions on your own node, you that's just... a that's a relay level thing, right? And those transactions can just be sent to miners directly or sent through someone else's node. And what happens is you get an incomplete picture of the queue. So you yeah. don't know what fees to pay, right? Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a bit silly because obviously you you can't filter out the Bitcoin blockchain and those transactions are making it into the blocks. So what are you really accomplishing by, you know, turning off your mempool or filtering? You're out saving the... some memory on your computer. You're kind of putting a but blindfold you're... on your face too, right? Like you don't really yeah. know what's going right. on. Right. You're gonna end up saving those 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 things that you're trying to avoid when the blocks are confirmed anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you don't care about the mempool, you just care about the blockchain. So then you'll save some I mean, if if you if you want to be able to do one sat per V byte transactions, just delete your mempool. Okay, great. Your mempool's empty. You can make one sat per V byte transactions, but nobody's going to accept them, right? You want as much data as possible so you have the most accurate view of of what everybody else's node is doing. Right. Steve, you got something to say or I'm good. No, I thought I saw you raising your mic. Um, well, actually, before I was going to say that, I think you covered it already, but the when you run a node on the network, even though it may not be economically viable in the form of being a node that's used for mining, you are still helping propagate transactions to miners. Right. So. Right, you're helping the relay network, the global relay network, sending these transactions around to, from node to node to node to node, and then eventually to a miner's node. Yeah. Um, I also, I think it's important to mention that Narwhal Tacos said that his mom says his mempool is the best one ever, and I support her in that. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. But, <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've had a very high fee market mm -hmm. these last this last week, week and a half. Um, at one point, I think the next block, to get the next block was like 400 sats per byte or something like that. 500. 500 so 600 you look yeah. a little bit broken inside simon five six hundred no i don't mind um and how many outstanding transactions do we have it was like it was 500k i think i think five hundred sixty thousand, yeah. something like that and the last record i checked from 2017 or 18 early 18 was 250 something like right. that but they were like, larger transactions true. no this right? um this was back in 20 yeah so it's like 2017 i felt like yeah so the difference now it was we had so many tiny transactions right, right. so it wasn't because they were so all the token shitcoin transactions. yeah so they like dust and they're very small but this put a lot of strain but the number of transactions right. was very yeah, yeah. so it, it put a lot of strain on our infrastructure and a lot of other bitcoin infrastructure which we saw gave very uh, which caused various disturbances i mean we had increase of stale blocks or orphan blocks for example yeah so let's let's talk about this because i mean the way i part of the reason that i'm so bullish on bitcoin is mm -hmm. that i consider it an anti-fragile system so i i think it it gets stronger under pressure when people start to see the pain points yeah um, and we start oh, to yeah. start to fix those problems because those pain points become obvious and there's strong incentives to fix them so what were the pain points you know what are the takeaways like how do we improve going forward um we've seen in the past like 17 when we had the first three really huge backlog right. of, tra of transactions and high transaction fees how the years after that, 2018, 19, 20, how exchanges changed and prioritized different techniques to optimize for for the block space market, like batching transactions, uh, segwit uh, support, 
And I think we've seen the same thing in this time. And just we ourselves, uh, this mempool was a real stress test for us. We saw how stuff started to slow down and we had to patch and optimize. So we're much more prepared now for the next wave than we were like a month ago. And uh, you saw various actors like Binance, they tweeted that they're going to prioritize add Lightning support. And so you had had these consequences, right? Right. The batching was the big one. Yeah, in 2018, I think batching was the huge and one. And I remember the, I remember Coinbase specifically, they were in a situation where they were not doing like any kind of real UTXO management in 2017. And a bunch of their transactions, like people, it's important for, I think it's important for people to realize that on-chain Bitcoin transactions, the fee is not set by the amount of Bitcoin you're sending. It's not set by the amount of money you're sending. It's set by the amount of data that's being transmitted. So you can have a very small UTXO, a small Bitcoin unspent transaction output, um, that is going to use the same amount of fee as some as a as a UTXO that has much more Bitcoin in it, and as a result, that fee starts to creep up in percentage, right? As a percentage of the transaction, and you have a situation where some of your transactions might not be economically spendable because the transaction fee will be so such a large portion, if not the entire portion, of the amount of Bitcoin you have. So you need to have proper UTXO management um, in order to handle that situation. Now. We have lightning now that we didn't have in 2017 and the dichotomy that people don't realize, I think, and it's, it's hard to wrap your head around is lightning. Those transaction fees are based on the amount of money you're sending, not like size and data. So that's actually on lightning. That is more comparable to what people are used to. I think like, a, you know, Western Union robs you, but you understand that it's a percentage of the amount of money you're sending. Right. Like Western Union might charge you 10 percent of your hundred dollars and like that it, it scales with how much money you're sending that's how lightning works but on chain mm -hmm. it's it's how much data you're sending across the network right yeah um but what's really interesting here is uh i i think most of the most of the exchange market has realized that at least in like these professional custodial wallets essentially like they realize that they need to have proper utxo management to a degree i mean binance consolidation transactions weren't confirming they were having some issues it seems uh, like everyone goes through the same mistakes uh and a lot of people are using yeah. even um custodial wallet providers who have figured it out but, but it's interesting to see how many players in the bitcoin space that think that we're going to have low fees forever mm -hmm. so they build their whole infrastructure around low fees and then when the fees just rise get raised a little bit they get hammered and uh, their service just stops working and but then they learn their lesson because they touch the stove right? yeah because i think everyone in this room bankrupt. have understood very early on like oh shit the, the fees are going to get really high like when we start building the mempool we knew that this is going to be super relevant because the mempool is going to be full everyone's going to check what's the fee where's my transaction yeah everyone <laughs> Shout out to Catan. Everyone seems to think that they can always do a one sat per V by transaction and just wait. But that's yeah, not I'm, the case. I'm always almost surprised that it's been this slow and that we had empty blocks going for the past. Yeah, we've definitely year. been wrong. Because the while. block space is so scarce. It's like the scarcest resource in the world, right? Isn't it? Like Besides you, you, time. Right. Okay. 
<laughs> if you want to get philosophical. But, but, so you can you can store anything on the blockchain, like NFTs or your uh, right. anything. You can store anything, and it's gonna be. Uh, locked in forever in this database it's just gonna just outlast, that outlast all of us oh yeah. yeah just that concept should be super valuable but still bitcoin has introduced two forms of digital scarcity and most people only think about one of them obviously everyone knows that there's only going to be 21 million bitcoin wait really sorry continue but uh the second thing is that the space in bitcoin's blockchain mm. is is equally scarce and whenever you need to and why is block space scarce well, why does it have to be scarce? Why can't we just have, you know, unlimited block size? Let it's, me tell you. It's related to the cost of operating a node. So we want to keep the cost of operating nodes as low as possible so that you can literally just use a low-powered Raspberry Pi device and keep the number of nodes out there as high as possible to avoid centralization. Keep it as accessible as possible to use your own node. Right. In theory, I mean, you could even run a, fo uh, a full node on your phone. Right, if the if the phone has enough space, there are a lot of misconception around why we can't raise the block size, which is causing a lot of conspiracy theories about various players trying to keep Bitcoin crippled or whatever. But uh, and so, some people refer to that we we have higher we have low cost hard drives today. It doesn't right. matter if we have uh, twenty megabyte to two hundred megabyte blocks and right. internet speeds are higher but to forget that what's what Wiz was mentioning is just operating the node also including downloading a node from scratch verifying the the blocks from scratch right, verifying if all the if you're onboarding a new merchant to Bitcoin setting up the BTC pay server setting up the node it shouldn't take more than a, a couple of days to sync the blockchain and get up to speed if we just increase the block size from let's the current two megabytes to twenty megabytes and just let it grow, in just five ten years, it's gonna it's gonna take a month just to download right. and verify. And it. And then everyone's know. using trusted third parties because yeah. to interact with right. the Bitcoin so, network. So that's the dangerous part. And there are people like Luke Dash that claims it's already too high today. We should reduce it because the way it's growing right now and just this. Okay, I'm mentioning the word ordinal uh, transaction. You can mention it. Thing we've seen the past months have increased the blockchain by, I don't think, 10, 20 gigabytes right. of just this kind of. So that's why we have the block size cap. That's why there's. A yeah. Lot. And um, I, it's great to see that they had to pay this much of fees. And I saw they burned like 600 the, Bitcoin. They paid for like security that. of the Bitcoin network. Yeah. As they should. So. Absolutely. So I'm glad that they're not paying like not paying anything and just paying one sat per V byte and not allowed to just fill up the blockchain. So they have economic disincentive to use worthless stuff. So they actually It has it, to be worth it to them yeah, for Bitcoin. They so so hopefully it will be more towards value transfer in the future, I hope. It's an economic incentive to mm. be more efficient yeah. using scarce block space. But yeah. Simon, I want to unpack this a little bit because um well first of all to interact with a bitcoin node uh, to interact with the bitcoin network you need to use a bitcoin node and if you're not using your own bitcoin node um you have to trust someone else's node and you're trusting them with you verifying the rules of the network verifying your transactions and also your privacy uh so it's it's absolutely integral to the system that that it's accessible to use your own node and we see in shitcoin land all the time that uh they have not prioritized this, so most people are using someone else's node, and and different shitcoins have different levels of centralization along that 
axes or whatever that that trade off balance. But we see like heavy, heavy centraliz- centralization in shitcoin land. And the problem is once you go down that path, you can never really come back from it. Yeah. Now, Simon, me and you went back and forth on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the the common misconception straight up is that it's a question of storage. It is not a question of storage yeah. uh, at all. Uh, storage is cheap. Uh, that is not the bottleneck. Now, I said the bottleneck is is bandwidth. You said like actual data transmission. Uh, you said internet speeds are very high. Like that's not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is actual validation, verification of 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 transactions. It's it to me, it's a combination of both. Yeah, I agree. And I would say the number one reason on the bandwidth side is because you want to be able to use a node through Tor. I think mm. so. It's like okay, our internet might be great at Bitcoin Park on Clearnet. Or, you know, the internet, you know, might be great in Tokyo, Nashville, New York, like all these great cities or whatever. But um, but but the problem is, is if we are in an adversarial environment, some people, some places in the world, it might be a crime just to run a Bitcoin node. And they they should be able to run a node, in my opinion, privately, where they're not doxing that they're running a node uh, to their internet provider, their government or whoever they're worried about. Right. Yeah. Um, and Tor has horrible bandwidth uh, restrictions, right? Like it's just a very high latency network um, that's just, it's hard to transfer large amounts of data through it, right? So that's where I kind of come at from the bandwidth side. Yeah, I but agree. But it's probably a combination Same, of the two. Like if you have, if you have low enough uh, block size, you could sync it from your phone as well over 4G or something. And yeah. and also in developing countries with lower internet speeds. Right. The, yeah, so I agree on that point as well. Yeah, but recently we saw the the CPUs becoming a bottleneck for very computationally expensive transactions, and also for transactions in the mempool when there's so many of them, like over half a million transactions in the right. mempool. The CPU, uh, and and we haven't we haven't talked about the mempool size limit. We we've only mentioned the block size limit so far. Right. But the mempool size limit is also very relevant because a lot of people the want... The 300 meg default. Right. A lot of people want to increase the size of their mempool so that they can hold lower fee transactions. But the trade-off of that is the increased CPU load on the node that's that's running this larger mempool. And it's not a linear... It's a non-linear uh, scaling. So the more transactions you have, the more that your CPU has to analyze the relationships between all those transactions. And so doubling the amount of the size of your mempool from 300 megabytes to 600 megabytes doesn't just require 2x CPU, but but much more. Not exponential, but not linear. Somewhere. More like log or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it depends on the what transactions are in the mempool. So it's not... In like mempools, a, yeah. Right, in your mempool. Yeah. Yeah, you can have these large clusters of CPFP child pay, pay for parent transactions that there's so many relationships. And as the mempool grows and you have more of these clusters that are inter- integrated together. And when you run the calculation to get the most profitable block, it requires a lot of resources. It can also be detrimental to have a bigger mempool than the default size because when or if transactions are purged from... Uh, most nodes with a 300 megabyte default limit and you keep them then when those transactions are rebroadcast then your node won't like propagate them because it already sees the transaction yeah so let's let's talk about uh transactions being purged right so i have uh mempool.space up right now Mm -hmm. um 
you have a larger than average mempool, but you, as a result, you tell people what, you know, what, uh, well, we run E-level gets purged on a default mempool, right? right? We run two nodes. So one node has a very large mempool and one has a default 300 megabytes. But you run way more than two nodes, right? Per server. Yeah. So like I've seen the list of nodes. It's pretty crazy. Right. But I mean, um, like within one server, we have a big node and a small node. And nice. this way we can determine which transactions have been purged from the default 300 megabytes. Okay. So right now it's at 7.34 sats per byte. Uh, anything under that is getting purged. That number was way higher. At one point, it was like 50 sats per byte this week. Right. So what happens What happens when a transaction gets purged from the mempool? Mempools. Well, it depends it's, on which mempool. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I was trying to answer this question the other day, and it's a very complex one. Because what happens at first, it, obviously it gets kicked out from all the mempools that run default uh, limit, right? But then it's the question of, when the mempool uh, goes down again, how does it get back to the, mem uh, to, the to everyone's mempool? Does it get rebroadcasted? Depends on who's sitting on that transaction if they make a rebroadcast. Rebro so usually I think it's the wallet that actually ori originally created the transaction that will try to rebroadcast. And it can depend on the wallet. And sometimes you have to do it automatically. I saw in Electrum, for example, that I've been using that your transaction is just changed to, it just says local. Like this transaction just exists locally in your wallet all of a sudden, instead of actually on the remote mempool on the server that I'm connected to. So I have to like rebroadcast re it myself or I'm not sure if it's- Yeah, it depends automated. on the wallet implementation. I think Bitcoin mm -hmm. Core will automatically rebroadcast it. Yeah. There's also random people on the Bitcoin network that will just rebroadcast transactions. They like right. hold a larger mempool. Like we do that sometimes. But we can see that when we had a fee spike and then it goes down, that after a few hours, we suddenly see all these transactions right. just... Because someone's rebroadcasting. Yeah, so it's getting rebroadcasted. But we also have people who are complaining that their transaction got just disappeared and it never got rebroadcasted. And they ask what happened with that transaction. So there are cases when it does not get rebroadcasted. Well, I think it's important to realize that if you send a transaction that is too low of a fee and it gets yeah. dropped from most mempools, um, it's not like you can lose your Bitcoin. It just, it, it, it's, and it's not that it gets sent back to your wallet. It never left your wallet. Yeah. Um, but you'll, you'll essentially see that Bitcoin back in your wallet and then you can either rebroadcast if you know what you're doing or you can just create a new transaction at whatever mm -hmm. fee rate you want to do, right? Right. Like, I think it's like people start to get freaked out. They're like, did I just lose my Bitcoin? Like, you don't lose your Bitcoin in that situation. It's kind of the opposite of getting confirmed, right? It's the opposite of getting mined into a block. You've just been, that transaction has just been. Uh, I think the, the UX of this whole issue is a little bit underdeveloped because yeah. we didn't have this problem in the past. So Bitcoin core or, or the consensus rules isn't really made for this kind of scenario where your transaction just disappears and gets kicked out and then so hopefully we'll, in the coming years we'll see more of this kind of support from from yeah. core well and the, infra core and the infrastructure handles, in general bitcoin core okay. as a wallet will handle right, right. everything quite well but it's my wallets it's might like not. nobody really uses bitcoin core as a wallet everyone's using there's like a dozen people <laughs> hmm. it's like an app on your phone and whoever developed that wallet app that you're using didn't have to, you know yep. to implement they didn't implement all of these uh, nuanced things so it's only really like the og wallets that that took care, you know a lot of time mm. and that's oh, i think of, blue wallet handles it really well yeah on your phone 
for a mobile wallet because like they have the they have integrated RBF features. They have integrated uh, child yeah. pays for parent features. Yeah, I checked. Uh, I checked Sparrow Wallet. I was playing it around recently, the past few days, uh, and uh, it has when you right click on a transaction, you have you can RBF it, you can CPFP yeah, it, Sparrow you can it cancel it. It's, it's the same with Electrum, but in the past you had a lot of wallets who did not care about upgrading to either Segwit, RBF, all these. Uh, good features that are super important in this kind of fee environment. You need to be able to bump your transaction. Right. I mean, I had Sergey on the show from BitRefill and like we all live in a bubble, right? We yeah. think like oh, people yeah. are using Sparrow. We think people are using like Blue Wallet. We think they're using all these top of the line wallets. Um, but really the overwhelming majority of people are using, you know, like Binance's trust wallet and just blockchain.info's wallet, like just the <laughs> shittiest wallets. Um, that don't have any of these real features yeah. set up, and then they get in these in these high fee environments, they get mm -hmm. really fucked over. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's true. Well, the oldest wallets that were first to market that just have a ton of users. It's so sad they like care the least about their users. Well, they also get like a little bit ossified, right? They get mm -hmm. kind of stuck in their ways because they have so many mm -hmm. users. And... Yeah, and we host, have so many new great wallets, so much new innovation like Sparrow Wallet. Yeah, that just blow everything else out of the water and hopefully everyone will yeah shout out to craig it, yeah. thanks for making such a great wallet i mean i don't own bitcoin but if i did i would use sparrow wallet yeah yeah i use sparrow but it's always in testnet mode <laughs> you said that so yeah. nonchalantly yeah. um let's talk about uh child pays for parent let's talk yeah. about rbf what are they what are the different trade-offs why should people care sure so rbf is a great feature that allows you to replace an existing transaction that's in the mempool as long as you Memples. increase the fee. <laughs> so if you're using a Bitcoin wallet like Blue Wallet, Green Wallet, uh, Sparrow. Electrum, Sparrow, all these wallets, you make a transaction, it's falling behind in the mempool queue in one of the mempools. You want to increase the fee, you can just click RBF and uh, the, fee, the, mempool, uh, the transaction is replaced. And you don't pay any extra because you can replace like as many times you want right. uh, virtually. There's a limit to it, but you can replace it. What is the limit? There's some kind of limit to prevent spam. So you have to increase. Otherwise, I could just keep RBFing. Like, yeah, and just uh, increase once. But is you have a high to... limit? It's like a limit. <coughs> There's state. a limit how much you have to increase at a certain amount of fee. A minimum increase. Minimum oh, increase so I can't do like one separate byte yeah. and then two separate byte and yeah, three separate yeah. byte. I, I think not. So, so RBF is a, is a good one, but it's only possible if you are the one that created the transaction, that you are right. the one that signed the original transaction. Right. I send a transaction to you, yeah. and then I can bump the fee at a later time yeah but if you send me a transaction and it's waiting or you i made a withdrawal from an exchange if if i would use like trusted custodians like right. coinbase and i have a transaction well like I, let's say i pay you i pay you yeah. I, but i use 10 sats per byte it's not getting confirmed it's yeah sure there. and suddenly i'm i urgently need to have this you want the bitcoin. my wallet i want yeah. the bitcoin then i can use i can't use rbf because i didn't create the transaction and but I do I can use uh, CPFP child pays for parents yeah child pay for parents which means I take this transaction you sent um, which is and I spend the same coins again you take That's, the unconfirmed transaction and yeah. you spend from that in a new transaction exactly so I'm, 
what's the happening? child transaction is is spending, right? Yeah. So easily explain. Like you send me some coins, I spend the same coins again, and in a new Coin. transaction, which will will be the child transaction. And let's say you sent me with ten sets per V byte. Right. I'm sending a new transaction, which is hundred sets per V byte, and the miners will look at this and say, "Oh, if I combine these two transactions." If I confirm both at the same yeah, time. Yeah, then I'll get this juicy 100 sat per V by transaction. So but you call it on mempool.space, yeah. you do really cool. It's effective fee yeah, rate. Yeah, effective so fee rate. So the effective fee rate is the calculation of, so together, these two together, they are calculated as probably maybe like 50 sats per V byte in the, in the, there's some kind of average of the that happens there. Yeah, so there's an Based algorithm. Based on the size of both transactions. Exactly. So they combine, combine the size, how much fee per byte per both, and, them and they will be ordered in the mempool according mempool. to that and the and the, and the miners will pick that one to earn that high fee so yeah. if the sender of a transaction wants to increase the fee rate yeah. they use rbf or if they the could recipient... use they could use child pays for parent too if they yeah they can sender has the option to do both if they have change but i hope right? i wish people only to the minimize... recipient can do cpf <laughs> no not if they have change yeah but that's what if I'm the saying. sender has change they can but if they i can send CPF you my higher UTXO, i cannot CPFP it. Only the recipient of one of the outputs of a transaction can CPFP it. But sometimes the sender is a recipient of one mm, most yeah. situations because they have changed. Depends. Like if if um you're I don't know withdrawing from an exchange or something, you couldn't use RBF. But if you if you're if you're like say I'm sending to a third party, so I'm the first party, the exchange is the second party. Say I'm sending to the guy sitting on the sofa here. If I send him a transaction, I control neither the private keys that the exchange is sending, only he can bump it with CPFP because I'm not getting one of those changes. Right, but if I send from my own Sparrow wallet to yes. you, I can use CPFP or if I have change. If you have change. And most of the time you have change, I can use CPFP or RBF, yeah. but there's no reason for me to use CPFP because it's way less efficient because you have to send another transaction. But it's kind of hard to conceptualize. If you're the recipient, then you're- If you're the recipient, yeah, RBF. but if you're the sender, you. Like RBF is preferable because it's mm -hmm. way more efficient, right? You end up paying less in fees. Yeah. But Imagine all the of fees the... are super high in the network. If it's $10 or $100, you don't want to CPFP and pay another $100 just to get it confirmed. If you, But it requires RBF, all of the key signers who signed yeah. the original transaction to sign off again on the replacement, which not not always possible, right? Depending on the use case. Right. Um, I mean, the cool thing about RBF to me is it makes a more efficient transaction fee market because mm -hmm. people forget until we have high fees um, that there's many times you're in a situation where you pay, you could go to mempool.space, it could say your next block fee, which is just an estimate. And then you you put that fee because you want to you want to get confirmed in the next block and maybe blocks come in a little bit slower, maybe Binance decides to dump a bunch of transactions into mempools or something, and it starts to run away from you. It's like, okay, 25 sats per byte is next block, but then you're waiting for six weeks because it right. runs away from you. So then what happens in a non-RBF scenario is you you see 25 sats per byte is the next block uh, estimated fee. And so instead you pay 60 just to make sure you're in mm. and you overpay. But because of RBF, you can actually be very deliberate and you can you can do that. And then worse comes to worse, you can start bumping it up and it makes a way more efficient transaction fee market, right? But you can only bump it up by a minimum of, I think, double or something like that. So it's not, yeah. it's maybe not double, but there's there's like a, a minimum increase amount. So it's not like you can just go from 11 sats to 12 sats to 13 sats. Mm -hmm. You have to go a little bit. Couchman wants to speak. Maybe we can mention okay. also that we just- We have a caller. 
What? We have a caller. This is a mystery man from Nashville on the line. So I think there's a very specific situation to your point, Matt, where you might, as the sender, want to see PFP. And that's if the transaction uh, ID needs to stay the same. So if you were to replace by fee, the TX ID would change. So it's And why would you want the TX ID to stay the same? Well, it's a good question. Sometimes there's very specific use cases where you need that TX ID to stay the same because the recipient is acting on that specific TX ID and they're not looking to update. So it's, oh, it's that's not, interesting. It's yeah. a good point. Or if the change of the original transaction has already been spent, you're now destroying all the child transactions too, right? When you RBF it, the parent. No one wants to destroy children. I want to mention the new feature on Mempool Space we just shipped, which is the RBF visualizer. Mempool.space slash RBF. Oh, that's a secret URL. No, Matt. not Don't I'm not thinking about now. I'm not oh, talking uh, about we'll that edit one. it out before we go live. Okay. Cool. I'm talking about when you're viewing a transaction, you can see the full history of the replacement transactions. So in the case of someone send you a transaction ID and said, Hey, here's your transaction, and then they actually replaced it and this transaction is deleted and there's a new transaction. TXID, right? right? But we'll still keep the old one. So if you open the old one, you'll just there's just a banner saying this was replaced. This by was this replaced by that one, and you even now see the um, like a history graph. You can click through the whole history. Awesome. See how it's yeah. It's really oh. cool to see multiple transactions replaced by a single transaction. Yeah, that's a bit cool. I don't know who's doing those or how to do those, but if you have those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most wallets, they will just bump one transaction, right? Well, so how sometimes do you... you'll see like literally a hundred transactions in the mempool replaced by a single batched transaction that yeah. batches them all together. With RBF. Which is really weird. because yeah. they're using custom software for that. That's yeah, like an exchange so. or something. Yeah, exactly. Because what you can do with RBF is actually changing the inputs and outputs. That's why there's an option in 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 like Sparrow Wallet where you can cancel a transaction. So you're replacing your transaction and changing the outputs to pay back to yourself. Yeah, Blue Wallet has that too. You're not really canceling yeah, the transaction. Exactly. You're just replacing it with the transaction that pays right, yourself right, right. instead so of the So calling sender. it cancel is just like a UX thing. It's very helpful UX because that's what people think of mm. it as. But you're not you're not really canceling the transaction. And maybe you should start talking a little bit about the full RBF. That's like another can of worm. Thing. I feel like the full RBF uh, argument or debate is completely over <laughs> as soon as high fees came into the picture, right? It's like, well, the whole business model of accepting zero conf transactions is kind of, you know, sketched to begin with. And maybe there are some businesses that can manage that risk and evaluate whether they want to accept a certain zero conf transaction based on limits or amounts or fee rates that were used, or maybe they have some other. Uh, criteria they can use to filter them out. But in a very, very high fee environment, when the mempool is very congested, it becomes... Mempools. You know, when I say the, the mempool, I'm referring to my mempool. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, when it, when it's very congested, like when is that zero comp transaction going to get confirmed? You're taking a huge risk if you ship some goods or services on a zero comp transaction at that point, right? Right. I mean, it was never secure. Right. It's just during that time when the mempool is completely empty, you can have a higher. <laughs> I feel like the people listening at home are going to start drinking every time someone says <laughs> the mempool and Matt corrects them. But yeah, 
zero conf is is not secure and you probably shouldn't do it but if you want to that's your decision should we what what was the full rbf debate should we talk about it simon wants to talk about it does steve want to talk about it well i was just we could i'm i'm curious <laughs> like practically how it how it works right now cuz you don't need like every node on the network to have that flag turned on do you guys have it turned on we do not why we not do not and we follow the default bitcoin core I mean, I, was, I asked Merch the other day, should we enable full RBF? And he said no. I called Merch the other day the premier mempool influencer. Hmm. <laughs> do, do you agree with that statement? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But I, I think <laughs> we want the mempool space website to be as close to default mem, uh, Bitcoin yeah. core as possible. Right. Yeah, but like the default should be full RBF and it's just not because of politics. That's but them, you throw your dick around. <laughs> I got I got a bad look. I was in uh, when was that RBF debate? It was happening in in the fall. Um, I said two things at Austin BitDevs while the debate was happening uh, that angered some people. The first was um, you all forget that uh, we're going to have high fee markets. You're all sheltered in your very low fee market environment. And as soon as high fee markets happen, we're going to need RBF and super important. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was. that it doesn't really matter uh, as much what individual node runners are choosing just because it's a flag that's a toggle to turn it on or not. What really matters is what do the large mempools that are very connected to a lot of people choose. And the miners. And what do the miners choose? And I specifically said, I was like, you guys can debate all day long, but it really comes down to what Wiz and Simon decide. <laughs> um, and they got people got pretty mad about that one. I mean, that's just the reality. If if there's one mining pool with a decent amount of hash power that has full RBF enabled, yeah. then can you securely accept zero conf transactions? No, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like the end of the debate. As you said, there's no point in really debating it because if you turn on full RBF on your home Raspberry Pi node, does anybody care? Does anyone trust your mempool for does do mining pools like get transactions from your little raspberry? Well, we're kind of seeing it with this or disrespectors thing, right? It's like, um, I, 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 I respect the fact that individual Bitcoiners want to do something that they think is right. Um, and, and feel like they're making actionable change, but it's important to realize that these relay, um, anything that's done on the relay network side does not change any consensus rules. Well, Bitcoin uh, is very censorship resistant. If you censor transactions on your node, they're just going to get relayed through other nodes that aren't censoring those transactions. You would literally have to have like near 100% of nodes. Uh, like, I mean, you remember when Luke early days was like his his mempools were filtering based on like what the right, Bible Satoshi said. Dice or something. Yeah, he was like no gambling, no porn, no but but in, in, <laughs> no in ecam sites. Case of the full RBF thing, it's a consensus thing. If everyone just changed their mempool config to enable full RBF, it's going to be much more popular and used and work. But it, but as long as there's one miner uh, who's you know not even connected to the Bitcoin network, they could just be mining directions that are directly uh, mining mining transactions that are directly sent to them, regardless of full RBF. Yeah, like they're not even using the P2P network. They can mine whatever they want, right? And that's kind of the yeah. But was it, it was years ago when like Peter Todd showcased this by double spending Coinbase? Yeah, I remember that. And then got banned from Coinbase. 
because at the end of the day, I mean, RBF could be considered like legal fraud. I remember doing a demonstration. There was this uh, Bitcoin ATM in Tokyo somewhere that would dispense cash on ZeroConf. And yeah, oh. in the high fee environment, that didn't uh, go well. So for you them. just bankrupted them or? No, I mean, I. Demonstration? I mean, every it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. Like it's more of a demonstration at a meetup type presentation. But you have to realize it's zero confidence. We can edit this that. Zero, the... zero confidence <laughs> debate has been going on for many, many years. This, most from the big blocker side have never understood that if it's not confirmed in blockchain, it's not secure. It can be replaced. You can just yeah. There's so many ways. It's a very naive approach. Yeah, exactly. It's like it. It feels good. It shows up in your wallet, and they want to feel like it's confirmed. But it's just in the mempool, and we have something called the blockchain to solve this problem of uh, double spending. Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah, proof of work <laughs> blockchain. To play devil's advocate, you could say that the choice to accept zero conf, you know, is at the end up to that recipient, and if if they think that they can manage that risk, why shouldn't they? So if, if you're dispensing cash from an ATM at zero conf, that's a high risk and probably eventually you're going to get wrecked. But until you do get wrecked, you're probably making some money and maybe the trade-off is, is there. And if, so long yeah, as you don't I get know, wrecked sure. too badly Doesn't at once. refill allow zero conf and they do a, some kind of analysis. Of, they do like a fraud analysis. Or yeah, whatever. and if it's a very low amount, it's like worth, worth it. So I don't I think mean, and there's. I, I think there's one thing if you're talking about businesses, um, but it becomes very obvious when you talk about individuals. Like if, if Wiz paid me zero comp, like I would completely be fine with that, right? Because yeah, Wiz is exactly. my close friend. And if, if he wants to commit fraud against me, then like maybe we won't be close friends anymore after that, <laughs> right? Like that is that is completely up to the user. And it's important in Bitcoin in general that we have user choice. Right, but uh, if but you have to understand the risks. Yeah, it's it's like if to go back to the ATM, if you're dispensing cash or or shipping some, you're a fucking idiot. Gold coins on zero conf, then yeah, you're gonna get wrecked pretty quickly, and that's yeah. for you to decide. And you can manage that risk to some degree if you know how much risk you're exposed to at any one time, how much value is in those zero conf transactions that you've treated as though they were confirmed, because if if you're only exposing yourself to a small amount of value being at risk at any given time. Uh, even if that all immediately gets double spent and you lose $10,000, that might actually be small in comparison to the amount of value that you've accessed. So with BitRefill, it might be that them having zero comp for many years has made them slightly more attractive than their competitor, which has ended up with them making more money than they ever have at risk at any given time. Sure, but when we're educating newbies, newcomers to Bitcoin, right. I think it's very important to tell them, yes, zero comp is not secure. Don't trust it you know verify that it's well there's been... risks it's a trade-off right sure what else do you want to talk about you want to talk about how nobody uses liquid <laughs> i thought we were talking about mempools i mean you have a liquid tab on the, oh, on yeah, the mempool. It's, well, it's a separate website liquid.net uh, you, you want to talk about <laughs> no i mean can't you just click the tab on the top it links to a different website okay um so on the mempool space website, we have the mining dashboard, the lightning dashboard, testnet. Signal. Should we talk about lightning? Sure. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your thoughts on lightning? And 
how how do you think about it from both a user on the network and how do you think about it from an operator of the mempool.space business? Because, I mean, you guys just added the Lightning, I mean, just, what was it, eight months ago or something? In Riga and September The Lightning dashboard. Or something like that. Yeah. And we shipped it for the Raspberry Pi users about a month or two ago. Because, I mean, Lightning is supposed to be... Hmm. the solution here for a bit refill or something for, for right? us launching the lightning explorer was a good step and people can self-host and it visualizes the graph that they're seeing from their lightning node right but from a from recently from an operational perspective we have been more most been focusing on the on-chain because who, who is checking the lightning uh, dashboard on mempool space it's probably only people that are running actively a lightning node well, what and, I think is interesting about how you did Lightning is and people, I, I think, consistently fail to realize this. At the end of the day, Lightning is a protocol for interoperable batched on-chain payments. Um, it, it is based in on-chain. Like it is anchored in on-chain Bitcoin and either person in that channel. And like I get into arguments with people that there is no Lightning network. Uh, it's really just all these interconnected payment channels and people might have a different different network than other people. It's not like one global it, in, in practice, it kind of becomes one global network, but it's it's not necessarily that it's it's all these different payment channels. Um, and it's kind of interesting how you guys do it on on mempool.space and and the mempool open source project, because it becomes very apparent, I think, in that you can't really have a good picture of lightning without having a strong foundation and on chain and and you like you can choose lightning nodes and you can see their channel closes and their channel opens and like what are those on chain transactions that are essentially those payment channels that make the lightning network right right we we have built a very strong connection where you can see from which utxos open and close channels and yeah, I think we kind of um, reinvented the concept of what a Bitcoin Explorer is by implementing multiple layers and having them all uh, integrated tightly together. Uh, for example, in the past, there was only really blockchain explorers, and that's because the mempool wasn't really relevant at that time, and layer two wasn't relevant at that time. So everyone just focused on the blockchain. But the blockchain is actually just one layer. The way I like to think about it is, Mempool is kind of like layer zero when you first broadcast your transaction. Okay. And after it gets mined into the blockchain, you're in the layer one blockchain. Okay. And if that transaction was funding a lightning channel, you're now in layer two. And what layer are you in if you're one of the dozen people who use Liquid? Well, that's debatable. Merch says Liquid is not a layer two network. It's a side chain. But layer two is kind of like a buzzword. I mean, it could mean many, many things. Got it. Is a custodial cash app wallet layer two? You know, it, it, that's layer three. <laughs> <laughs> What's layer three, Simon? Layer three are the apps you build on top of the layer two. Well, so I have a question. So, I mean, so if you ask a mainstream Bitcoin influencer on Twitter, uh, why, like, when when bit refill, so bit refill uh, is is one of the most dominant. Uh, Dominant is one of the most successful Bitcoin businesses, right? Um, they do very good business. Uh, their, you know, their main business is selling gift cards and selling phone top ups, and um, and they heavily rely on zero comp transactions. and And one of the cool things that Sergey does at Bitrefill is he opens up his payments 
information. Like he, like it feels like almost once a year he goes on stage or comes on dispatch and it's like, this is the breakdown of my payments. And he accepts shit coins, he accepts on chain, he accepts lightning. Um, he has like this little UX survey ish thing when you're paying to ask what wallet you're using. So he has like some detail on which wallets people are paying from. And I, I said earlier, like, I was like, a lot of people are paying with like, trust wallet which is a horrible wallet and a horrible name for a wallet because you shouldn't trust a wallet but um so so the answer so when so when bit refill came out and said you're going to make our fraud detection much more difficult with zero confirmation and a lot of our users really like zero confirmation and and if you if you allow mempools uh, mempool operators um to relay these transactions when they're not signaling rbf it makes our fraud situation much more difficult. The mainstream Bitcoin influencer would say, just use Lightning. Um, that is what Lightning's for. You have instant settlement. Um, you have a, a direct amount that is happening. You don't have to deal with that zero confirmation risk. Um, in a high fee environment, we heard the same thing. Just use Lightning. Now, why? But but if you ask Sergey and he gives you the payment breakdown or whatever... Lightning is is tiny, like, 5%. like people, more people are using Tether and Ethereum and all this shit than they're using Lightning. Yeah. Now, like as 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 responsible Bitcoiners, like what do we take away from that? Like what are like is is Lightning the end all be all? Like what is what is what are the conclusions that we should be taking away from this? In a sustained high fee environment, Lightning is probably. Uh, going to become a very, very popular tool, much more than 5% of the payments. But in the past few years, when we were just one sat per V-byte, then sure, he was yeah. probably getting the majority of the transactions with zero conf on. But at and, the same time, when the fees are very high, it's very costly to open and close channels. So... Yes. It might uh, halt some adoption because it's too expensive to so the, the way i look at lightning is i think it has proven itself as a interoperable um payment protocol for large custodians like that use case has found product market fit it works you have professional node operators like wallet of satoshi and um bitfinex and you know all these different custodial operators that manage these channels and make the payments relatively seamless for their users. But of course, trust third, party, third parties are security holes. They can rug you at will. Uh, you have to trust them with your privacy. Um, you know, maybe Chamin eCash with like these Fediments or Cashew, like maybe they help that situation a little bit because they can still rug you at will, uh, but they can't see your privacy. But I don't know necessarily if the product market fit has been found on the freedom oriented side, using it in a freedom way. Um, and I think part of that is not only that high fees mean channel creation is more expensive because that's a, a fine trade-off. I think like if I can make one transact, like the whole idea is like, if I make one transaction that opens a 10 million sat channel and I pay my 500 sats per byte, I can then make thousands and tens of thousands yeah. and hundreds of thousands of transactions to and from. That's the ideal on that. but scenario. The real, the real burden on freedom-oriented sovereign lightning usage. Because I think everyone, just like we forgot that fees could get high, just like we forgot that FTX could rug people because like Mt. Gox took a while. Um, I think people 
are are in this complacent phase because Wallet of Satoshi has just been running a custodial wallet for fucking years mm-hmm. that every custodian either rugs you or gets shotgun KYC'd and forced KYC'd. Like that is going to happen. Um, so then why don't we have more freedom-oriented sovereign tools for using Bitcoin uh, on Lightning? And I think the bigger burden is how do you do mobile, like easy UX, like people need convenience. It doesn't matter how many podcasts you have. It doesn't matter how many YouTube hours, videos you have. Like no one's going to watch a two-hour BTC Sessions video mm-hmm. um, before they they use this money. And so like you need the convenient tools on mobile. And it's not easy. Like Lightning takes all these trade-offs to maintain its censorship resistance. It's not easy to necessarily use that in a freedom-oriented way on a mobile phone. And it's not easy for developers to implement that, right? Like there's a reason Trust Wallet, I mean, besides being a completely shit wallet, and I keep going back to it just because so many people use it. Um, they don't even give you, it's not even an HD wallet. They just give you a fixed what? on-chain address, let alone have lightning enabled. Like they don't have lightning enabled. Um, and that's what Sergey will say to you. is like, okay, you can tell me all these things about lightning, but if like my user is paying from Trust Wallet, like they're not going to use lightning, right? I think the... the- Lightning has these problems that you need channels, you need income and liquidity to receive and all that. And oh yeah, the receive side is fucking pain. In the yeah, end. but I think I think that the mobile wallet that solved everything like this the best is still the Phoenix wallet. Phoenix is awesome because it just does everything automatic. But it's still you just back up seed words just like a regular wallet. If you make an on-chain deposit, it automatically swaps into a channel, and then you can start spending Lightning. So, right, so I have... so onboarding is super good. You, you launch the wallet, you back up your seed words, you make an on-chain deposit, you can make a large one, and that one opens a channel, and then you can start spending like thousands of payments for a long period of time. And they also let you, if you need to receive on Lightning, you can start your Phoenix wallet experience by receiving a Lightning payment from someone, and they'll open a channel on demand yeah. for you. Um, I love Phoenix. I have a getting started guide for Phoenix at werunbtc.com slash phoenix. Um, it is fantastic wallet. One of the cool things about Phoenix, which I really appreciate from their team is if you go to their, their website, they list all the trade-offs very clearly in like human English, not like bullshit. Um, and it's important to realize though, like even on Phoenix, you don't have, you don't have good privacy from Phoenix and Phoenix as a result, it's not, you're not just trusting Phoenix, their servers could get compromised. Um, or they can get compelled by governments. They can get a gun put to their head the good old-fashioned way and say, give us your information. So you don't have good privacy. And then second of all, and it's a taboo subject. We like can't really talk about it as Bitcoiners, but I like talking about the taboo subjects. Um, And it goes back to this idea of what is custodial and what is not custodial. And I think like the relationship you have with Phoenix and Async, which is the parent company of Phoenix, they have their own Lightning implementation. There, It is not, and there's so much nuance here, which makes it difficult. It's different than using a light wallet on, on chain where like you're just giving up your privacy and verification and maybe they could specifically double spend you, but yeah. it is self-custody very easy. On on Phoenix, I wouldn't call it pure self-custody. Like there right. is a, there's a trust relationship there. They can rug you. If but only they try the, to rug you, right? Like the when the HTLC is in transit or something like this, they, they can rug you while you're receiving. They're it. They're basically receiving it, and then two seconds later, they open the channel to you and send the funds to you. But 
but they're also like you would realize that right away but the only node you're connecting to is their node right right and and your app is usually offline right like i'm pretty sure they can steal your money if they want it well because like your phone could be off or out of signal or something and so then they would save it for you and then whenever your your phone came back online it would connect to their server and then you would receive the yeah, phone. it's like a trust minimized it's a, it's a good trade off and right. and y- when using this wallet you're using their lsp and their yeah uh um what's it called the trampoline right so, so, so they are keeping the graph of the lightning network this is why when you make a payment with phoenix it usually goes uh confirm like within just one second their graph and their because you're just outsourcing this stuff to their server and like you said, you can't you can't connect it to any other node. It's reliant on the server, mm-hmm. but you still own the keys, so you can close the channels and get it on chain sure. if you want to. If their service got rated, by yeah, if they go out FBI of business or something like that, yeah, something like that. But uh, but if they wanted to actively attack you, they can probably steal your yeah. money. But the alternative to Phoenix is like a more self custody, where you actually control where you open your channels and stuff. And I would recommend the Blixt wallet. Blixt is awesome, and they just got Cyber a grant Fist. from. Human Rights Foundation yeah. to to develop. It's just been a one man team. Hamburg, I'm gonna try and friend. get him a grant from OpenSats too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that should. I felt bad because he put an application in and. Oh yeah, yeah, I the, saw the application saw. was lost. Yeah, that was, so I told that him was bad. We had a bad couple of months at OpenSats where applications were getting lost. We just got that huge uh, donation from Dorsey, huh? Yeah, and part of that was so OpenSats is 100% pass through, so we don't take a cut like most nonprofits do of donations. So we have a separate operations budget um, that people have to donate to specifically to fund operations. And so Dorsey not only funded us for Noster development um, and funded us for Bitcoin development to our general fund, but he also funded our operations fund directly. So we were able to bring GG on full time. Um, and so now we actually have someone full time getting paid that lives in like anyone who knows Gigi, like he was born for this role <laughs> um and so like now all of our processes will be way more efficient and i'm very excited about it but anyway i had to tell hampus to reapply yeah but his wallet it works similar to uh, to, to phoenix it also has an lsp and it can do this automatically but you can turn that off and you can do it all manually and open a channel to whichever node you want and right. you get this more full manual so that's a it's a good wallet if you are more advanced. Well, it's cool because it has the balance. You yeah, can do both, right? Exactly, and it's very um, cutting edge on the features. It was yeah. very early on supporting all the um, what is it called the Fiat Jeff uh, stuff, where you the can, hosted channels and stuff like yeah, that, all that yeah. stuff and the Lightning address. You can have yeah. an address book and pay to people's email address. Yeah, he did a pretty cool trade off balance with how he implemented Lightning address on mobile. Um, I I like the idea in general of tools that kind of grow with the user Mm. where like you, you have a very easy UX that maybe is, has higher trust trade-offs in the beginning. um, And then you can grow with it. Right. I think uh, Craig does a really good job with Sparrow on that. Um, But more tools like that so that a person doesn't have to watch a two hour video um, before they get started with Bitcoin, they can enter as a, as a, as a new coiner. Um, and use it in very basic ways and then kind of grow with the wallet, right? And maybe have like different UX things that pop up and it's like, did you know this or whatever? Yeah, Lightning is cool and wallets that can do both on-chain and Lightning in a Um, non-custodial But I think I'm guilty of making more on-chain transactions the past months than Lightning transactions because of various reasons how Lightning works. 
Well, if on chain is cheaper, that that's the correct decision, yeah. right? But it's not just because it's cheaper; it's because maybe I'm having my coins in a wallet that is Coin. offline. Lightning, it has to be online. It has different trade-offs. So, yeah, on chain is awesome. Yeah, on chain is really good when the fees it doesn't are low. scale though. Yeah, that's it's just amazing. Like, it's too bad it doesn't scale. Like, I you can receive offline. Like, it's just so exactly. powerful. You can do multi-sig. You can do. Like I, and people like I always take it the wrong way. It's like I run five lightning nodes. Like if you donate to dispatch, like it's relying on my lightning node mm. receiving your transactions or whatnot. Like I'm, I reliant on lightning. I love lightning. Lightning's great. Um, but if you use lightning extensively, you really start to appreciate what we take for granted on chain. Oh yeah, it's just so f- simple. So it's a bit sad that in a few years from now we, we won't be able to use on chain anymore. No, you all... can. It'll just be more expensive. Oh, all right. I just have to pay On-chain is not going I just away. have to pay the market. Well, that's the cool part. You can always use it, right? You can it's always just use you it. have to pay the market rate. You have to bid high enough. Yeah. We need to add more blockchains. And we start. And when that one fills up, we just add another one. And another. No, no, no. You move up the stack. Are you advocating for shitcoins? No, I'm talking about sidechains that keep uh-huh. the Bitcoin denomination. Like LBTC on Liquid. Are you shilling liquid? Yeah. So, like, why why should people care about liquid? No one uses it. Well, if everyone starts using it, it's not going to be like nobody's using it anymore, right? I think the main, the I'm main using reason... liquid, but I have no one to use it with. So. <laughs> I think the main reason why nobody uses liquid is because the Bitcoin mempool fee market, space market, has been you know basically free for the past couple of years since 2021. So, what are the trade offs of liquid? The trade-offs of Liquid Everything is that it's, it's a custodial it, sidechain, and you're trusting the federation yeah, not to rug you. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. But is it would be something like in between the self-custody and the cash app. The cash app, you see your Bitcoin balance. You don't know if it's there. They can rug you. But with the case of Liquid, you can actually audit how much coins are in the Liquid Federation. Yeah, it's much better than trusting a single it's custodian. It's a multi-sig custodian. Yeah, and it's a fully auditable because most things like cash app. Sure, they can sh- prove how much Bitcoin they hold, but they can't prove how much liabilities they have. But with Liquid, it's uh, fully auditable both. You can. So why don't people use it, though? Because Bitcoin is so cheap to use on-chain. Why would you make the trade-offs if you don't have to? I think it's a network effect thing. Exchanges has been reluctant to, to add it, so it's hard to get it. To, to buy it, to exchange, to switch. Yeah, to nobody's really built the infrastructure. You can't pay anywhere with it. So if there's no infrastructure and you don't even, most people don't even know exist. exists. So. I think uh, Beefsteak Josh accepted it for Beefsteak tickets. Yeah, and house. he knew whenever someone paid with Liquid, it was one of the people at the stable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder who that could be. I, I actually made like a serious push for him to join the Liquid Federation as a member. But uh, but the good thing about Liquid is that what it's, it's exactly like Bitcoin, but it's one minute block time and it's always uh, by default confidential transactions. So you don't can't track and trace. Right. I think the most um, obvious. And you, you can so you can be offline. You don't have to do oh, yeah. the channel Just creation. Like... like a lot of the pain points that we see with Lightning and uh, IV mm-hmm. environment, Liquid doesn't exhibit. Yeah, you don't Very easy to implement on mobile, yeah. but no one uses it. And well, it's just an interesting case study. I mean, as as uh, Sergey said, nobody's really using Lightning either, though, right? I think it's different. Cortex says, stop shilling liquid. Liquid is a shit uh, coin. On-chain Bitcoin is for your is, like cold storage. 
Lightning is for the for the payments, the SAPs on on Noster and all that tiny microtransactions. Um, Liquid, I think, is more for the apps like Hodl Hodl. You have this lending stuff. I think Liquid had its opportunity. Couldn't find product market fit. It's not going to fucking happen. And uh, just wait until the really fees are a, a thousand. No, when the fees are like, <laughs> like so, I think, I think the Fediment, uh, I think, I think the Fediment trade-off balance is a way more compelling balance, and we're going to see it kind of basically put the nail in the coffin for Liquid because Fediments, first of all. It's very easy to spin up competing fediments that are interoperable with each other, which has always been a pain point on Liquid because it relies on the HSMs. True. Um, so we've only had one Liquid network. You haven't had multiple. And then second of all, from the core premise and from the builders that are building these different front ends and, and building out the fediment open source protocol is this idea that you make it very easy to, to go between lightning and the individual fediments and on-chain bitcoin and the individual fediments and for whatever reason and i'm not trying to disparage you know the people that worked very hard on on liquid um the priorities were mismatched and i know it's it's painful to hear if if you've been working on liquid but it's at the end of the day like the biggest priority should be going from on-chain bitcoin and lightning between the federations and that was it was never made a priority. It's a pain in the fucking ass to switch between liquid and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and Fediments at their core, like they fundamentally came up with this concept of the of the Lightning Gateway. So it's like the the federations aren't even handling that swap process. It's a free market for Lightning Gateways to kind of uh, handle that swap process. So it means that anyone who's using a Fediment wallet. Um, can easily send to other Fediment wallets, but also can easily pay any Lightning invoice, can easily pay any on-chain address, nice. and vice versa. And that was always the big... I mean, it just... It was weird because, like, Liquid, I, it was just... It's just... They never... They never, like, realized why it could be useful. It was always like, okay, like, maybe it's exchange transactions for traders, but, like, then they can just use extremely large Lightning private channels if they wanted to because oh, yeah. the custodians could do that. Lightning can make And so there was, n- there was never any end-user tooling that happened. Like, it was never, like, even to this day, it's just not easy to use as an end-user. Yeah, it's more for the members to use, I think, between each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, you you know, if it it's, I'm not saying that you should use Liquid for all use cases. It's just another tool in the mm-hmm. Cypherpunk yeah. arsenal. If you if the right tool for your use case and threat model is Fediment or Lightning or Liquid or on chain or hell even zero conf like if that's for you great but you want as many tools as possible yeah, I agree you want to be able to evaluate which one to use that's kind of like the whole point of the Mempool Open Source Project too is that we want to help you migrate to this multi layer ecosystem where you can pick should I open a Lightning channel should I just do on chain should I use Fediment so. It'll be interesting to see what Fediment eventually, you know, after that integration with Lightning and, and swaps and everything comes out with. But at the end of the day, it's a custodial solution, right? Right. I mean, someone said in the chat, like, oh, Liquid is a shitcoin. Well, what does that make Fediment then? <laughs> That's even worse of a shit. Is, <laughs> is uh, Bitcoin on Cash App a shitcoin? It's a multi, they're both, they're multi-sig custodians. Right. That's what I'm saying. Um, but it's, it's like, if you're going to say Liquid is a shitcoin, then what is, Fed, what is a Fediment? Or what is a multi-sig custodian. So it's kind of uh, Bitcoin on Cash App is a shitcoin. It's a custodial IOU system, right? 
And if your threat model is, and use case is okay with that, then great. But if you want more privacy or security, then you use a different tool for the job, like on-chain, right? Well said. Uh, Cortec also said Fetterman is all third-party shitcoinery in disguise. Uh, well, shitcoinery but is here's, here's, printing money out of thin air, right? Like a custodial can, service is different. Well, you can print money out of thin air in a custodial service. Yes, but that's why it's liquid is fully auditable. So you can't, right? That's kind of the whole point. Right. Whereas Fediment, I don't know if you can verify the supply as easily. But can you even with confidential transactions? Yeah, because the the LBTC is uh, always auditable, right? Like you always know what the supply is, and you always know. But like new ones get minted or whatever. That's right. All the pagans and pegouts cannot be blinded. Otherwise, then you wouldn't be able to. That part doesn't. But so on Fediment, you don't have like there's a trade off. Like you can actually like uh, federation operators as currently designed will be able to do like a soft rug pull where they're inflating supply and you won't be able to tell. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah. Which is like a clear trade-off. The difference is, though, is like you can do that on Wallet of Satoshi right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, all these design decisions, like way more people use Wallet of Satoshi than they use Liquid, right? And that's because it's convenient. It's convenient. It's usable. It can pay a Lightning invoice. It can pay an on-chain address. Super easy. Liquid never figured that out. And Fediments at the core are going to offer that. So you get like the convenience of something like Wallet of Satoshi, uh, where you never have to manage the Lightning Channel. You never have to really understand how like transaction fees work and stuff like that. The, the wallet handles all that for you. Um, and then the trade off is you can get rugged at, at, at any time. But at the very least, at least that rugging uh, is a multi sig custodian that is competing with other multi-sig custodians yeah and i think and, that's a very uh, good uh, you have privacy from the custodians if you're because like a of new, Cash. if you're total newbie to bitcoin and the fees are very high maybe this uh fediment wallet is a good way to get started and you just teach them like yeah you don't keep a hundred percent of your net worth on fediment or lightning or liquid you probably keep 90 plus percent in a cold storage multi-sig on chain right on chain and, you know, whatever you keep in your pocket, just walking around money, maybe like one or two percent of your money is going to be in lightning channels or liquid things or, or fediment things like you, if you do get rugs, that's, you know, OK, because you only lost one or two percent of your stack. Right. Yeah. So we spoke about liquid. We spoke about lightning. We spoke about fediment. I mean, are there any other layer two like, things? I don't. The, isn't the definition of shitcoin just a, a token that's competing with Bitcoin? That's t- completely unnecessary. But if you use liquid or fediment, you're just using a a, um, Custodial a IOU of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So you're still tracking against Bitcoin, and hence there's it's not a shitcoin. The pump and dump tokenomics yeah i mean i refuse to use any other chain like i don't know what they're called but they have an own token that is just made for pump and dumping but if you use liquid it's completely honest because there's nobody there just dumping on you and earning fees it's just just lbtc it's just pegged bitcoin but there could in theory be be an exchange rate between on-chain bitcoin and liquid bitcoin right yeah Currently, it's like a one-to-one peg, or maybe they take a one percent fee to to swap it, whatever. I think swap. That's what swap services do. But right, so you should be able to you can peg in and peg out without fees, right? 
Yeah, but I think it's fair to say liquid Bitcoin is not Bitcoin. It's an IOU yeah. for Bitcoin, and there could exist uh, an exchange rate. I mean, mm. we've seen Tether kind of go off the one dollar peg, or rarely something. though. Right. Rarely, yeah. But Tether's usually very, very trustworthy. But like other coins, just what was it? Uh, you know, some shitcoin Luna thing was supposed to be pegged, but algorithm. Yeah, because Terra, it's not pegged. Oh, yeah. I don't, there's some well, Terra is backed by Luna, the shitcoin. Terra, I mean, the shitcoin. Algorithmic stable coins. Yeah. Uh, anyway yeah. um i want to talk about i want to pull it back for a second so we had a high fee environment um mm. we saw a lot of stale blocks mm. um what like what are your thoughts like why do we have so many stale blocks and so the idea of stale blocks is miners two different mining pools are basically their most recent bitcoin block uh is is a different block right What's when two mining pools solve a block at the same block height at around the same time? So they have two different, and it becomes blocks. a race. The tip, of, the tip of the network is a different tip, right? And so, if you propagate your block faster, and another mining pool mines on top of your block, then you win, and the longest chain wins, or the the chain with the most work wins. So the other block becomes a stale block and not part of the Bitcoin blockchain. Well, why was that happening so much? Yeah, I think we spoke about this on RHR a little bit. Yeah, yeah but basically, the get block template loop. due to so many transactions in the mempool, like five hundred thousand and four hundred thousand transactions, something made the whole algorithm of calculating the most profitable block got slowed down to I don't know, up to I don't know ten, twenty, thirty seconds. Which just slows down the whole process of when they're, they're they're mining on this block height, but while they're just calculating the next block, there's a block found somewhere else. Right. But they're still just trying to calculate the block height, and then they're sending this to the mining machines, and they start mining on the old block. It's just all these delays because of the right. the sheer number of transactions just slow everything down. So when the mempool on the mining pool operator's node is yeah. empty it's very fast to generate the block template which they send to the miners to work on and, and try and solve the next block. But when the mempool of the mining pool operators node is full and has half a million transactions, it can take 30 or 60 seconds to generate the block template. But you can also say that the miners were ill-prepared for this scenario. They, they, it would have been, it would not have happened if the mining infrastructure had better performance or maybe they had to run a smaller block um, max mempool limit so that they don't have this full 500k transaction to, to calculate. Yeah, so they they upgraded to faster hardware or they optimized yeah. some code. I mean, some mining pools implement their own get block template yeah. algorithms. So it's not an easy, you know, simple to say that this was the problem. I'm sure every mining mm -hmm. pool had their own reasons why yeah. they had a lot of stale blocks. But... They learned from. I mean, they lost a lot of money, so they yeah. they left that money on the table, and now they're going to go back and optimize all. Right, the incentives work. They exactly. Lost money, mm -hmm. so now they have to figure out yeah. their shit, right? Yeah. But it's just what we had to do the past few weeks. We had to optimize our. What did you have to do? So the mempool space uh, software is constantly running the get block template algorithm to visualize the mempool as all of those projected mempools, yeah. and we have a very large mempool. And we also have a lot of advanced features in our software, like the the audit functionality and 
making sure everything is uh, what audit functionality is expected block versus actual block right so we have a lot really of stuff cool. going on in our code and our our get block template loop also took a very long time to run and so the excellent team of shadowy super coders optimized the code very very quickly and so for example when the mempool in our nodes hit 200,000 transactions and it started to slow down you know, I'm like, all right, come on, guys, let's optimize the code. And sure enough, within like hours, you know, Mononaut and Simon had had all these emergency patches to make it run faster. And then once we deployed those, everything started running smoothly again. But then the next day, Deja, oh, it's not 200,000, it's 300,000. All right, guys, let's go. We need some more optimizations. <laughs> and then it, you know, kept doing like 300,000, 400,000, 500,000. Yeah. And we, we had added more servers into production. We had like turned off some other service, you know, like, got rid of some dev server, just threw everything we had at it. And the Electrum service started crashing. Because well, then we had to patch bugs in, Elect in Electrum server. <laughs> you know, so we kept the site up and running, but it took the whole team, uh, yeah. you know, working long hours. But it's interesting how some of the infrastructure was just not built for this scenario. That's it wasn't true. wasn't built to handle. I mean, blockstream.info was down for a while, yeah. too, because uh, we run the same blockstream Electrus fork, and uh, we had a patch yeah. very, very quickly, like within minutes, even. Yeah. And uh, we sent it to them, but it took them a while to, I guess, merge it and deploy it. And so it was kind of uh, crazy to see, like, yeah, even, you know, Blockstream with all their smart people, like, there was this bug and, and the website went down. But fortunately, we were able to prevent downtime. Yeah, but I'm, I'm glad it happened now. It's not a bull market, it seems. Like, if, if it wasn't for this ordinal stuff, the mempool would probably be empty by now. And uh, But when the actual bull market hits and everyone's just foaming in doing Bitcoin transaction, we... All the infrastructure is going to be more ready. So, do you guys think mempools will ever clear again? Or good question. I, th <laughs> I think it's going to clear. Just sooner. delete your mempool .dat. There, your mempool is cleared. No, no. I mean, do you think, <laughs> do you think your mempool will ever clear again? I think so. I think it will I clear could clear it right now weeks. if I wanted yeah. to. <laughs> like, you want to bet? I'm not going to bet. You. These are already down a lot, right? Since uh... it, who? Oh, I thought you were asking me about my bets. I am down a lot of my bets, but I keep doubling oh. down. Eventually. Honestly, I pay more on I paid way more on transaction fees than I've lost on these bets. Well, if you just pay yeah. pay the bet as one sat per V byte, then it'll never get confirmed. Well, that's why Marty is uh, Marty's a hypocrite because he he wants me to pay him in lightning, even though he's <laughs> so. I mean. I think, I mean, I, I don't even fucking know. Um, <laughs> eventually, mempools will never clear again, right? Right. I agree. Eventually, there'll be a permanent backlog queue. I agree. And I, I would say to the people that say like, oh, then Bitcoin's unusable. It's your classic meme. Like, it's too crowded. Nobody goes there. Yeah. Like, good restaurants have a line. Like, get online. Hmm. Yeah. What's the debate? Well, there's this new theory <laughs> that mempools always will clear eventually. Uh, what? No, that, this is why we have, that, that I, sounds we, very bearish, like, like you said before. It's we have like Couchman wants that, to respond. Yeah, that's super. Oh, we have bearish. a caller. <laughs> is it guaranteed that mempools will never clear again at some point? Nothing is guaranteed. I don't think it's guaranteed. So there's at least a possibility that mempools will clear. There's no guarantee. I, I see two scenarios: either Bitcoin is going to be useful and popular in the future, and it's going to be super crowded, super high fees, or it's going to die. Nobody uses it, and then mempool's gonna be empty. Choose mempool's. one, pick one. 
I would say maybe it's uh, maybe guaranteed is the wrong word, but maybe eventually you can be reasonably sure that you can at least get your transaction unstuck. So even though the mempool will never clear, you can at least (laughs) mempools will never clear. Then you can at least get your transaction out of the mempool when you want. Matt loves to say mempools and mandibles. Those are like his two. Mandibles, drink. <laughs> um, wait. Uh, do what do you guys think about like uh, transaction fee insurance or something like that? Like, do you think I like be able to like? I like. I wish right now if I could just lock in five sats for, per V byte for the rest of my life. If someone wants to take me up on that, like okay, I'm willing so, to double down on my bet to the point where like I just want I will pay you like a million sats right now, but if you're a miner, you have to confirm my transaction at five sat per bite for the rest <laughs> of my life until I die. Yeah, futures markets on like I would do that in a heartbeat is not gonna happen, right? Because the market is too real time. And why would they sell blocks you know their future block space because they can get the million sats now and opportunity cost right it's like uh, but they probably get time value of money whiz but they they probably get way more than that in the future right and how do you know they're even going to be not around? If they're always going to clear how do you know they're even going to be around in in six months when you need to get your transaction confirmed what if they're just unlucky and they don't mine any blocks like that doesn't really work right the only thing you can do is set a bid for your transaction and if that's not high enough, you can increase your bid. All I know is, is like, when this happens, it's going to be the most expensive told you so ever because I'm going to have to be paying the transaction fees. Everyone has to pay the transaction fees. There's no free lunch. I know, but I, yeah. Okay. Oh. What? <laughs> I guess we can announce the announcement. What's the announcement? May 19th. In Miami at the Bitcoin. Are conference. you pulling a Justin Sun? You're not saying what the announcement is. We're going to announce something related to your question. It's pretty big, is it? I mean, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but if I did, it's a pretty big announcement. I think it'd be cool. Um, there might be a third way to increase your bid on that space in the blockchain. It'd be cool if you could like pre-buy transaction inclusion. Like I would just be aping in right now to. Pre pre confirmed transactions. Well, it's already kind of happening with the uh, like the inscription guys were doing it right. They would pay some mining pool, like in a total backroom deal, out of band, right? Out of band, they would say, "Yeah, we'll just give you a Bitcoin to mine our turd of a JPEG into this block," (laughs) right? And the miners, like, if I get it, if you're a small mining pool, that's like very large uh, bonus. So it's a free market, and. Happens quite often. In fact, if you look at the mempool space audit tool, like if you click on any mined block, we'll actually show you like a diff between what we were projecting to be in that block and what actually got mined in the block. And those blue colored transactions are usually very large. And I don't know what the fee market looks like now. I haven't checked in the past couple of days, but there's a lot of um, just added transactions. And those are essentially like just this opaque uh, darknet market of... uh, people who need their transactions accelerated and mining pools who are willing to do it for them. Well, let's talk about out of band real quick before we wrap. Um, because like, I mean, we have been talking about it uh, both on the record and off the record for years now, but um, it's recently, it's recently entered mainstream consciousness, at least in like the, 
enthusiastic Bitcoin community uh, because of these NFTs, right? So um, out-of-band transactions are instead of you know sending your transaction through the mempool relay network and, and relaying amongst Bitcoin nodes, um, you send the transaction directly to a, a mining pool operator um, and you say, I will pay you this fee and nobody's mempool see that transaction. Um, and it's become quite common in NFT land, um, but it will be very common. In a sustained high fee market, I expect it to be common regardless, not just for NFTs. Um, and how should people think about that? I, I know you have your audit tool, which kind of gives you this idea of, of which transactions might be out of band and which might not be because it just does, it's not economically, it does not make sense based on mempool vision that there would be um, those transactions included. I think the main reason that the inscription shit coiners are using out of band payments to have their transactions mined is simply because there are standard rules for transactions that allow them to be propagated on the Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer network and included in every node's mempool. And some of the transactions are so large, they're just way too big to be broadcast and propagated. And so the only way to mine a four megabyte JPEG into a block is to manually send it to the miner and have them included out of band. And it seems like the core developers like Merch sees a big issue with more and more transactions being treated out of band instead of using the actual Bitcoin network as it's supposed to, like the actual yeah. block-based market. But the so thing it would about... be better if, if it was all Because you have horrible fee estimation. You can't figure out fee estimation yeah, and, and everything's that's, happening in backdoor deals. At right? the end of the yeah. day, like a centralized marketplace is always going to be more efficient than a decentralized marketplace, right? And so you're probably going to see more and more out-of-band transactions uh, fees in the future, especially in the sustained high-fee environment. Like you said, people are going to make deals to do whatever. And uh, if you have good relationships with the mining pool, then you can... Uh, what was that mean? Uh, I was just I was giving a peace sign to Logo, too, because he says it's a beautiful studio. It is. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be many, many different types of shenanigans that unfold when uh, shenanigans. Um, I mean, if we're right about Bitcoin and billions of people are using it, like, fuck your models. Like, you have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> um, like, people are going to just be surprised about how everything changes. Um, and you're all too bearish. Everyone's too bearish. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I will take pie on my face because uh, last time fees rose, I'm being much more conservative this time because last time fees rose, I had Wiz on and I said Bitcoin fees are designed to pump forever. And then I got shot on for about two years or a year <laughs> or something until the Bitcoin fees. Came no, back the problem up. is that everyone has they are very high time to pump forever. Yeah, everyone's only looking. Oh, five minutes later, it's empty. You're wrong, Matt. Yeah. But it's like, no, you got to zoom out. And on a long enough time frame, uh -huh. yeah, it's never going to clear again. And there's going to be huge. <laughs> never going to clear again. All caps. Let's mm -hmm. fucking ship it. I mean, it's uh, not like uh, Satoshi designed Bitcoin to have the block subsidy go to zero and the miners only being paid by transaction fees, right? I mean, the block subsidy in in purchasing power terms, like in the amount of cows you can buy has only gone up. How many cows can you buy with the current block subsidy? A lot of you can buy a lot of cows, a lot more cows than you could four years ago. That's true. When the block subsidy was fifty Bitcoin, 
that was only about a thousand dollars of Bitcoin or so. So it was only fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, how many cows is that? Like fifty cows? Yeah, something like that, right? Sixty cows. But how now, much is it? How much? But is now, a big if cow, it's like thirty k of Bitcoin, even though it's only six Bitcoin, it's like eighty cows. <laughs> J Pleb, all caps, never will clear again. Mandibles, cheers. Um, let me see. Well, anyway, freaks, I'm looking forward to the crazy times ahead. Um, I advise you all not to be too bearish. Uh, this thing might just catch on. Um, mm. And uh, I want to thank our guests for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Before we wrap up, uh, should we finish up with some final thoughts? Um, let's start with Couchman. Couchman, you have any final thoughts? <laughs> Couchman. Stay humble. Stack sets. Oh, great advice. Um, Simon, final thoughts. Run mempool. Run Bitcoin. <laughs> Great advice. Thanks, Simon. Uh, Steve, final thoughts. Visit Bitcoin Park in Nashville. It's been an absolutely epic week here. And uh, if you haven't been, you should make a first visit. And if you have been, you should come again. Cheers to that. I will say every time I'm feeling a little bit of burnout, uh, hanging out with Bitcoiners in person, shaking hands and chilling just really gets me going. Um, Definitely. I can't believe that some of my closest friends are just like internet friends that I met through the internet and then afterwards met in person, which I never thought I was going to be that person. But, but that makes sense because if you're just uh, talking with everybody on the internet, you're naturally going to meet people that you're most aligned with out of the like the largest community in the world. The whole you're not just be picking people based on geography. Right. right? Like your local neighborhood is not going to have that good of a selection well anyway freaks come visit bitcoin park and if you don't want to come visit bitcoin park uh focus on building up your local community strong communities strong communities uh get us through the hard times it's important to uh, neighbors helping neighbors i had someone accuse me on nostra the other day that that was socialism um <laughs> helping train your neighbors how to use freedom tech is not socialism it is logical prudence uh consider it uh whiz final thoughts we're going to announce something really cool on May 19th. You're such a Justin. See you all in May. At 1 p.m. on the open source stage. The open source stage. What is the open source stage? Sounds awesome. Well, will there be a live stream? Oh, well, I mean, are we going to do a pirate stream again this year? I didn't know about it last year. It was just a happen coincidence. Uh, yeah, that's that was actually really funny how that went down. And I think like we went there and we're like, what? There's no live stream? All right, let's all right, you go get a camera. Let's get an internet connection. Get a ladder. Put it up. And, you know, we gave 150 uh, free open source tickets uh, to open source contributors uh, this year. What was the project that had the most? I don't know. Uh, the Nostra projects, we had a bunch of Nostra projects. A lot of Nostra projects came in pretty hot. Um, there was a couple projects that were like, they didn't get a deal through like uh, they were in the middle of negotiations with the sales team and then just kind of like aped in through the open source ticket project, the open source ticket contributor side. So it was like a little bit um, questionable. Um, there was my favorite one. Um, my favorite one and shout out uh, to Finch, ride or die freak. Uh, his GitHub uh Username. I won't dox the exact username, but his <laughs> GitHub username for his open source ticket was uh, 
making commits for a free open source ticket for Bitcoin 2023 <laughs> and it did it right after the last conference, which is exactly what we, I mean, the idea is to encourage open source contributors, but like his, his username was like literally like I'm doing it for the tickets. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we want. The more open source contributors, the better. That's what makes this movement strong. Shout out to all the open source contributors out there. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for for contributing your time and your money. Um, huge shout out to our guests who joined us. Huge shout out to all the freaks who joined us in the live chat. I appreciate you all. I know um, Dispatch runs on like this intermittent schedule. If you join our live ch- our 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 group chat on Matrix, uh, you can stay up to date there. If you follow me on Noster, uh, it's really easy. Odell.xyz slash Noster. You can find out there. I might get banned on Twitter eventually, but I'm, I'm on Twitter. I tell people on Twitter to subscribe in your favorite app. You'll get notified. Um, I want to do more of the in-person ones. So it's going to be kind of like sporadic situations where sometimes one week we'll have five episodes and other weeks we'll have none. Thank you for just supporting the show and sticking with me and making all this cool shit happen. Um, visit Bitcoin Park. Uh, it is it's just great to chill with Bitcoiners and um, don't overthink shit. Stay humble and stack sats. I love you all. Thanks, guys. <laughs>